and welcome to the Programmatic Digest podcast, your weekly roundups on top programmatic and digital news, plus expert interviews and more. I am your host, Ellen Parker, your very own Programmatic Sensei. As a friendly reminder to our amazing listeners, you can find everything we've discussed today, including our experts' information, show notes, and all referred articles on our website, programmaticdigest.com. Now let's get this party started. Our first story is from Jennifer Cannon in marketingland.com. WordPress in the spotlight. WP Engine announced the acquisition of one of their competitors called Flywheel in addition to this new partnership they're having with HubSpot. This announcement basically brings together technology with better experience for both marketers and sales users within that WordPress ecosystem. This aligns very well with where the rest of the industry is moving. Consolidation across data, meet tech, or product focus meets data. Again, this pretty much aligns with where the rest of the MarTech landscape is moving towards. I think the idea here was bringing together HubSpot free CRM tools with the WP plugin so that marketers can expect to manage like fewer tools. They can find low-code solution for their marketing and probably the most essential of all of those is centralized data source. So the alignment with both Flywheel and HubSpot should improve marketers' accessibility to technology and tools while creating a better data management opportunities. Our next story is from Amy Guzenhues from marketingland.com again, where we now know the rumors have been confirmed ads are coming to the Explore tab within the Instagram app. So Instagram have been experiencing a serious user engagement growth, even more than Facebook has. And of course, the Instagram advertising business has noticed the same upward trends. In this initial rollout, I think Instagram is going to try to just test out some of these engagement within the Explore content. Again, once you're in the app, you go to the Explore and then you start scrolling down and you'll see that native ad within your Explore content. And first you'll have to either engage with that photo or with the video before you'll, you'll start seeing a little bit more on, on your Explore content. So this was, I suspected something like that to happen. It started with Instagram feed last year. It started with um, the stories I'm going to say in the last few months and in the last year, it may have been more, don't quote me on that. So I was expecting to see some type of ads continuation within the content and next we'll probably see it within the IGTV. What I'm not trying to look forward to is if WhatsApp, which also is owned by Facebook, if WhatsApp has <laughs> ads, we, we might have to, we, we might have to <laughs> rediscuss that. I'm not looking forward to seeing ads in WhatsApp, but I expect it is to happen in Instagram. Our next story is uh, pulled directly from Behind the Numbers podcast from eMarketers, where eMarketer principal analyst Nicole Perrin and vice president of multimedia Paul Werner discussed this new legislation proposed by Missouri Senator Josh Haley with host Marcus Johnson. So the new law is basically going to get rid of that shield protecting tech company, precisely the internet publishing companies distributing user content. This is in an attempt to really control how and what those contents are being distributed, whether positive or negative, positive and or negative impact. 
it, I'm, I'm saddened to remind how what happened with New Zealand, how and how Facebook Live was unfortunately used in that moment. I think this proposed law is trying to get ahead something like that happening again and also pushing and kind of forcing some of these tech ads to stay accountable and start implementing these these internal reviews in this context however it's specifically the law specifically for political reasons where we saw what happened with hashtag fake news this is a great conversation to have now I think what the senator is trying to propose again is really to hold those tech companies accountable of how this content is being distribu distributed. I actually came across an other article on, I believe, the ad exchanger where it was a it was an interview with people that are on those reviews committees or work as a review content reviewer for Facebook. I will put some of the information in the show notes and now. And we'll probably discuss this a little bit later. But in this case, Karen and Verna, actually, Paul Verna, both agreed that uh, it's, it's, really, it's going to be hard for the company to really implement a neutral political internal review because we have those natural biases as soon as we walk in and we're talking about the political world here. So it's almost impossible to request from a company to have neutral implementation because what is neutral? How are we defining being neutral? That was the, the, that's what I took out of that episode. Great information in addition to that particular piece. They covered some highlights uh, on other aspects. So strongly recommend you guys to go ahead and, and listen to that podcast on SoundCloud. In our fourth story is a article from the Media Post written by Wayne Friedman called Roku commands 15% of all media streaming devices. Despite what I thought, <laughs> Roku still remains the leading set-top box software platform for connected TV sets in the US that is, with almost 41 million devices according to Strategy Analytics. In the first quarter, 15.2% of all media streaming devices came from Roku. When we look at set-top boxes and when we actually look at Roku as a, a software installed on smart TV. So this is great information, especially when you are trying to plan for connected TV. We, this is really cool information because um, Roku inventory is available out there. I know I've worked with a few. I've worked with a few partners where you can either buy it through a deal or you can buy it direct or you can buy it again through a DSP. So for other type of connected TV. So Roku should definitely be something you want to consider for your media plan. I just want to end with uh, quoting from the article where it says Connected TV actually grew 13% year over year in Q1 and Roku streaming TV platform accounted for more than 30% of those sales. So, so Connected TV inventory, Roku included, is definitely something we want to consider as programmatic media ninjas and strategists. Our next story is a media post article called 40% of consumers say remarketing a noise and distract them and is written by Lori Sullivan. This was based on research completed by the Attent Lab. So it's a research partnership apparently between Performix and Northwestern University. And I'm gonna read out loud some of those facts as it really stood out to me and it's directly quoted from the article. 38% of consumers who approved of being remarketed with the same ad said it allowed them to find a better price for a different seller. 
25% said they consider it personalized advertising. 19% said that it allows for postponing a purchase without losing the research. <laughs> to be very honest, I'm part of the 38th and 19% just mentioned, and the next one, which is 18% consider it a reminder to buy something. 53% um, of respondents said remarketing doesn't affect their opinion of the brand, but yet 40% cite remarketing as super annoying or very distracting. And lastly, 41% won't click on an advertising and 46 said that remarketing prompts concern about privacy. As a programmatic ninja there, you and I both know that if remarketing or slash retargeting tactic is not implemented or set up correctly within your DSP, it could have the opposite result on the receiving consumers. That we can agree on. On the opposite side, if it's set up correctly, then you can literally see an increase on in conversion, whether it's sales, purchases, foot traffic, um, awareness, engagement through social so please, 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 please <laughs> make sure that you control that retargeting strategy. You can do it in different ways, whether it's as your frequency, whether it's implementing an additional tracking measures where you actually only retarget somebody that's visited a cart. I call it the cart abandoner strategy or the form abandoner strategy, delete abandoner strategy, however your campaign's goal is. So please, this is our role to make sure that we protect the brand's integrity. By doing so, we must implement a little bit more. We must be stricter when it comes to remarketing. We don't want to be part of that 41% that, that won't click on our ad because they think we're too annoying. Okay, moving on to our next and final story. On the publisher side, actually, it's coming from a podcast episode from the Ezoic podcast called The Publisher Lab. It's a podcast that was hosted by Tyler Bishop and Shelby King. They covered a few things throughout the podcast, including Google's 2019 core update that was just uh, launched in June. But one of the pieces that they covered was how targeted ads impacted publishers. I am more on the buy side and Tyler's team is on the publisher side. It's a very cool podcast, strongly recommend for anyone in the industry, whether on the buy side or supply side or on the brand side, to go ahead and follow his show because it's very informative and it gives you a perspective on that supply side, like I'm saying. But what they've really covered is behavioral targeting does not affect publishers the way it affects buy side. It was created solely to help with audience segmenting on the publisher side and for to help maybe filter some of that available inventory for the DSP to purchase within the auction. I might be quoting um, Tyler would hopefully have the honor of having him on the podcast very soon. This is definitely a cool article slash episode so go ahead and follow him. In our next segment, Alexis Day joins us in the Sunset's Corner to help us navigate through couple marketing land articles on Google and Waste Partnership. See what I did there? Navigate. <laughs> a little bit about Alexis Day. Alexis Day is an experienced marketing professional with a focus in creative development, digital marketing, media planning and buying, campaign and project management, strategy and brand integration, and sponsorship and promotion. Overall, she has a knack for not only creating and leading conversations, but influencing and helping people to get their message out. 
you will certainly feel her charismatic energy in this episode and on her very own podcast where she co-hosts with Sonal McLaurin called The Brand Equation. And I'll have all the information about where you can find Alexis on LinkedIn, Instagram, and on her website in our show notes. Here's our interview. All right. All right. Let's get into this. Three, two, one, go. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today, Alexis Day. You are welcome. We're pretty hey, excited to Parker. have you. What? I said, I said your name. I said oh. that. <laughs> oh, you said my name. <laughs> <laughs> Alexis, you are expert digital marketer genius. Um, and today I wanted your expert advice or feedback on three particular or two, three particular articles all from Search Engine Len. Are you ready for it? Yeah, but that's a lot of pressure calling me an expert. <laughs> You're too humble. <laughs> all right. So story one, Google has been in the spotlight in the last couple of weeks since their Google marketing platform live event last month, I think. They are coming out with a few new updates, including this pretty cool update with Google and Wave. So Search Engine Land published an article, I think around June 10th, explaining that Google phone owners will now be able to initiate Waze commands hand-free. For example, they'll be able to say, hey, Google, report an accident. Hey, Google, avoid tolls. Hey, Google, report police without touching the screen. For us iPhone, team iPhone, I know you are. Our version is supposed to come a little later. So Alexis, let's talk about how this is going to affect the consumer. Any thoughts here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> since, his voice a- since his voice activated. Yes. Um, it will not really affect the consumer, just like voice searches. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really affect the consumer because in search, we don't take the whole sentence of what people are saying. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. And bid on it, we take the intent. So if oh, someone okay. tell us more. Yeah, so if someone is saying, Hey Google, what's the nearest car dealership near me? We're we're gonna bid on car dealership near me. We're bidding on what the purpose of your search is about. And okay. with the Google and the Waze stuff, that really that's good for the driver so they don't get into accidents. <laughs> but um I think I think it'll be kind of cool to see that data come in. Because, you know, we do have location extensions and then you have the um, Google My Business. So when people search for businesses, it'll be kind of, you know, cool to see how that all that's integrated. So let's put it into perspective because I like the fact that you took it to the location-based thing. I think as a consumer, Google is definitely trying to diversify, especially on the marketer side. It's definitely going to be an additional product to their various mix of products already. When we look at a strategy like this one, I know that ways we are able to target and buy Waze inventory through, I believe, DV360. Don't quote me yet, but there is an update recently. Google was pushing that inventory through DV360, which is a DSP, stands for Display and Video 360. As a strategy, when you play search, you know, text ad, and now we have location-based, how is that all coming together? What I think I'm asking here <laughs> is... How, how would you utilize location-based and then you, you mentioned Google My Business? Because now we're adding, like you said, the intent. So targeting person while they're intentional in their action 
and adding ways strategy would be while they're on the move close to that uh, advertiser, close to that business that we're advertising for. I think a little bit later on, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about ads for small business ways also introduced. But before we get there, I just want to know like how you would implement that in a strategy. strategy. Is it even worth it? Is it too soon to even think about it? We have to also think about the whole voice thing, right? You mentioned that, oh, as a consumer is cool. As a marketer, I don't know if we're yet, there yet in terms of ads on voice or how to utilize voice data. I don't even think it's available yet, honestly. But how, how would you all put it together? Yeah, so, well, Google My Business is basically, you know, your business profile is showing up when people are searching for you, you know, in the, yes. in the search and the maps. Okay. So... It's not really a strategy. It's just a best practice. Oh, okay. I see. Okay. Tell us more. That's it. Full stop. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Straight up. If you have a- <laughs> I mean, best practice. You guys need to implement it, period, with a T. <laughs> well, not even that. Google, um, with a business, Google requires you to link it. Okay. You, can't, we, you know, to um, actually set up a Google My Business, you can know. No, no longer just go into the platform and manually enter your address. You have to have something set up on that side to link it. Mm. So again, it's not a strategy. It's just the best practice for business so people know where you are. Okay. So I guess this is a good segue to get into story number two, which was a search engine land article where Waze introduced ads for SMVs. Waze introduced ads for SMVs last year. I believe those ads included incentive like free coffee at the Wawa or a branded pin reminding drivers that your business is near or in route. We know that Google owns ways. You, do you think it's a strategic move from the giant to continue expanding those, those products? What do you think? Absolutely. Google used to have promotional pins, which I like where you, you know, if you search for a place looking for a particular business on the map, you know, their prom- a promotion will pop up, say, if you're looking for Starbucks near you. Okay. The promotion of buy one coffee, get one free. Like their, their promotions will pop up, which I, I don't know why they got rid of. But um, <laughs> I really did like that. Like you talked about years ago. So with Waze having something similar, I think it's great to expand on those products because people, not people, us, number one, we like... <laughs> <laughs> we like no just the just the consumer themselves okay we like, we like deals we like instant gratification if i'm looking for if i'm trying to get somewhere thank you for telling me i can save money at the same time true so it only makes sense to implement those kind of products and for them to keep expanding like that mm-hmm yeah, I, I definitely am looking forward to to seeing a little bit more on that and to read the data. I, as you can tell, the search is not my expertise, so it's very interesting to hear your feedback and also to hear just your perspective on things. Because to me, on the programmatic display mobile side, it's excellent. I think it's a strategy that we can definitely implement. So on the search side, what type, how would you marry that strategy with, for instance, a PPC campaign or SEM campaign? How would you marry like, oh, let's go ahead and extend what we're trying to do within the Google ads uh, platform. Like who is the perfect advertisers to test this type of campaign? Well, one, PPC and SEM, they're pretty much the same thing. Right, right. So I'll Um, probably edit that one out. (laughs) (laughs) If that was available to us, 
it would probably be available via uh, an extension. Like, because right now we have promotion extensions. Okay. So if a company is having a sale, mm -hmm. we can put, um, use a promotion extension to highlight that sale during the time that they're having it. We don't have to create different pieces of ad copy. I mean, you can do that too. Right. But promotions extensions are just another way to get eyeballs on something that you're trying to highlight. Mm -hmm. um, so if we had access to the Waze promotion, promotional stuff, that's just, that's, just a, that's just a marriage right there for us to maybe integrate location extensions with promotion extensions. If one pops up, the other pops up as well. Okay. I see what you mean there. Okay. So anybody that's targeting a consumers, campaigns or advertisers that are focused on B2C in the industries of, you just mentioned, I believe, retail, moms, even like a mom and pop shop, anything that sort, you would say? Well, I don't want to limit it to like a vertical industry. Yeah, vertical B2C industries. And by the way, I was just talking about this with Sonar mm -hmm. about B2B versus B2C. That right. really does not exist in search because that <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't. What? <laughs> people okay. and this could and this could just be my opinion, but I know a lot of people agree with me in search. Mm -hmm. It's it's the keyword that we're bidding on. We cannot, we don't target. We bid on the behavior that, okay. Or right. the, the, the profile, the person. The profile. Exactly. Okay. It's, it's, it's how people search is how people search. If I am a business okay. owner, I'm going to search the same way as if I'm just not a business owner. It's, right. it's, it's just the intent again. Right, 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 right. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I guess ways is in the on the topic today because the next story is also Waze. So the next story talked about how Waze is now being implemented to bridge out of home with the digital. Are you familiar with any out of home? Have you worked with other, you know, mixed media campaigns where there was any out of home uh, strategies? I don't know what you're talking about, girl. <laughs> <laughs> so, this way, so this story is basically implementing um, ways targeting with billboard targeting. Uh, McDonald's did that where drivers were shown the same ad as the, the ad from the billboard. Back in the days, one of my agency in my previous lifetime, we tried to test that same, but with Google search, where wherever somebody was in the vicinity of a billboard, we would have the, the text ad kind of match whatever that promotion was. At that time, and I'm speaking of like three, five years ago, we were not able to dis determine if it was successful because there is no way for us to really s attribute the fact that somebody drive past it and then they converted on that text ad. Um, they were able to merge, and I think in the article here, the search engine land writer, Greg Sterling, said that mobile location data now make billboard exposures measurable and trackable to a store. So location data and audience insight can also be used for smarter out-of-home placement. Do you think this industry is moving towards that? Let's be honest, traditional media <laughs> compared to digital, I think we're seeing more growth in digital than we are going to continue seeing in like traditional radio, traditional TV, and even billboards. How do you, what's just your thought here, personal and professional? Because I know it's not really something that we hear very often, but I do want to know like for somebody that's really inside like a search platform, but not only like, you're not only a search expert, you're also a digital marketer. You also host your own podcast. 
which is called the Brent Equation. Check it out. What, do you, think, <laughs> what do you think when you hear things like that? So to add on to my resume that you threw out there. I, <laughs> <laughs> Go on, girl. <laughs> um, my marketing experience started in traditional media. So I, oh, yes, right. Radio. Yes, I started in radio. Yeah. I also have um, some TV. Okay. But, um, yes, digital is growing because everyone is online. Every, again, that is technology. But traditional will never go away. They're still dumping money into it because at the end of the day, people are still listening. And if they're listening, they're going to go search it. Right. Mm-hmm. If they see it, now if you're driving and you see a billboard, obviously you're not going to pull over on the side of the road and call that number. <laughs> Hopefully not. Or at least you'll pull over, be safe, practice safety first. <laughs> Later on, if you see a banner ad, with, mm-hmm. you know, it may be like, oh, I did. That's right. I wanted to look that up. Mm. So you're saying that. So everything, it all works together. It's, it's a halo effect across all, all, all media channels. Got it. So you're so, saying even though traditional media spend per se is decreasing year over year in comparison to like programmatic media spend that's increasing year over year drastically, mm-hmm. you're still saying that traditional media has some type of still remains with that power of absolute creative touch point. Somebody's going yeah. to remember some commercial somewhere or be annoyed that you're saying that traditional media is still a good way f- to be emotionally connected to a message. Absolutely. And you can, and you can, a good example is a Super Bowl. People watch TV for That's the ads. They watch, they watch that event for the ads. I agree. So, and that's, and that's in, um, that's actually any major event, the Olympics. Now you're not watching the Olympics for the ads, but you're staying, that, that channel is staying tuned in the entire time and you're getting those ads. You know, if you, if you are a local person listening to the radio, now we're talking, now um, you're a lot, a lot of advertisers are putting their money more into satellite radio. Right. But you still have that listenership in local radio, even though it's a lower piece of the pie, it's a smaller piece of the pie, it still boosts our digital efforts. Right. Because yeah. they're decreasing, but ours is increasing. That could be because of those people that's still loyal to, you know, the traditional, the traditional sense, the traditional channels. And I think when we look at a client as well that has had some wisdom in their industry, you know, clients that are here 10, 20 plus years, I do think they're still banging on or betting, sorry, <laughs> betting on traditional versus digital like when I compare certain clients they're more likely to spend the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds close to a million dollars spend in traditional media channels tv including broadcasts um, radio terrestrial radio and uh, and print a lot of print apparently versus just testing the digital channel even though digital is able to bring some level of measurement and analytical performance measurement so absolutely and tar- you can target with oh, um with the digital yeah absolutely. exactly that could be another topic too but coming back to that article and to what like google is trying to expand here while doing this is i think it's really cool i'm looking forward to i think as marketers we'll look forward to seeing certain results because again i'm very skeptical when it comes to <laughs> billboard exposure is it measurable or trackable to a store 
Um, I'd like to read a little bit more in the details, like, okay, how exactly is the technology set up here? What exactly are they tracking? How are they determining that that person is actually actually walking through? Like, I know we work with a couple mobile vendors in our time. One of them, uh, S4M, they're able to track somebody based on their location base and the device ID and track them back to a store. But that tracking is from almost point A to point B. So right now with Waze, we're talking about a movement. Somebody's on the go walking or, I mean, driving past that billboard. I'm looking forward to this. Like maybe, maybe we'll see something here. It's really interesting that you still see traditional media going strong, even though spend is coming down. Like I said, a lot of us digital marketers out there are pretty skeptical. It's, it's, it's not dead yet. <laughs> No, and yeah, and that's the it's, it's it's not good. And I don't, and I really don't see it going away anytime soon. I do think, say, if we had another Great Depression, the last thing standing will be radio because people won't have the resource for internet. Mm, it will go back terrestrial radio. Exactly. I mean, we see it in movies. Have you seen the um, what is that Sandra Bullock movie? She had uh, like. 800 of them. I don't know, girl. <laughs> <laughs> the one where she couldn't see if you your eyes were open. Oh, Bird Box. Bird Box. There you go. Um, yeah. The only thing they, they could do is go through. I mean, it wasn't terrestrial radio. I think it was actually, wasn't it? Anyway, if anybody knows the details out there and want to correct me on that, please feel free. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, I didn't get in trouble by mentioning Sandra Bullock here. We're a big fan anyway. Ah, she all right. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yes, big fan of her. Yes, big fan. Don't get trouble. Hashtag big shout fan. Out, shout out to Netflix. Shout out to Bird Box. Exactly. Sponsor this show. Exactly. <laughs> okay, moving on to the segment where we like to shine our diversity light on an agency, brand creative, or any related that has done diversity right or wrong. Do you have somebody in mind right now? That has done them right or wrong? Yes. Who hasn't done diversity wrong? <laughs> done right. I don't, I don't think, I think there are some companies that have the means of making it look like it's done right. Mm -hmm. Big, big companies with deep pockets. Do you have any example? I like to, uh, I like to mention Pepsi that's not, hasn't done really right. Yeah, Pepsi. Let me stop mentioning that. Um, Coca-Cola has done it right in terms of really bringing in some of that di racial diversity in, in their commercials or even in their ad messaging. Um, even so, go ahead. Where I stand. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, it's nice to see those commercials. It's, mm -hmm. nice, to, it's nice to see that... Um, it's pulling in audience that looks like me. Okay. But what I'm, when you actually go in the company, I want to see the people that look at, look like me at the table. Mm. I don't want you to do a focus group and do your research and put something out there knowing what I would like. I, I need, I need the real stories. I need mama Africa in your boardroom. Wait, the, do, do companies or agencies still do, focus groups yeah they, they um they do research wow. that might might have been my my slow moment of the day there but yeah <laughs> um it's just crazy 
considering all of the great research um, vendors that we have out there that are able to give us, like you're saying, much more valuable feedback versus focus group. But I guess it's, it's going back to we're not going to cut off the consumers out like that. Right. It's a good way to stay, to hear hands-on about consumers. But it's They're just, so, yeah. Sorry to cut you off. It's just too many incidents. Um, instances that are coming to light of companies dropping the ball. Right. And why, does, and why does it keep happening? Me, I'm starting to think it's a good marketing tactic for them. Like the publicity, the negative publicity? Ex exactly. Do you so, think that? Because remember when... I remember when the stuff happened with Gucci and they started talking about boycott and everyone was still wearing it. <sighs> Okay, Gucci is probably not a good example, but what did Jennifer Lewis wear? Was it a full-on Adidas suit? Because a Nike. Nike. Nike, because they were in standing for... Colin Kaepernick, yeah. Um, Colin Kaepernick. So I think in that situation, I think is a good example about diversity, how mm -hmm. a brand will still support. Absolutely. And then Nike, it, it Nike, still endorsed, Nike still endorsed Colin Kaepernick even mm -hmm. after everything um, went down. They still had a diversity ad come out. But also, David Banner talked about it. Oh, really? And, yeah. Tell us more. Oh, wait. <laughs> did you not cover this on, your, on the brand equation? We did. We did. Go, ahead and, we did. go ahead and remind those, the fam what exactly you guys I'm going. I'm going to really have to paraphrase because it was so long ago. <laughs> yes. And you know but, what, fam? Um, I'll make sure to add their episode in the show notes too. So you can go ahead and go listen to that as well. So Nike, it, was, it pretty much split. It was split down the middle. You know, people was supportive of Nike and how they handled Colin Kaepernick and they didn't drop him. And they basically went against the NFL. But David Banner was saying that Nike, it was a, it was a smoke screen because, because Nike did all of this. They did their commercial. They, you know, endorsed Kaepernick all without actually telling people why Kaepernick was kneeling, kneeling in the first place, what the problem actually was. They just stood behind. They, they had people assume that Nike was for Black Lives Matter, for, you know, kneeling during the anthem, but they were just piggybacking without actually making their own stance, without, without explaining to people, this is what we stand for. We stand with him because of this. But isn't it using him as the face of that? But it, it wasn't just him. It wasn't just him. It was a lot of celebrities. It was a lot. It was, it was a dream. It's, it's dream makers. It's, you know, chase your dream kind of thing. That was just banner stance on it. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I mean, I can, I can see where, where this is coming from. Oh, and then it, and then not only that, because Nike also endorsed, you know, Nike was still um, a part of the NFL. They still was a supporter of the NFL, endorsed it, whatever. When Nike did that, he said, people, black people got relaxed and started watching football again mm -hmm. because they stood with Nike. Right. You know, every, everything was okay. You know, Ka Kaepernick made a deal. It was undisclosed right. between him and the NFL. Nike did this. Mm. The moons went up. No one, no one actually said, start watching football again. Yeah. <laughs> but Nike made people comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> so people started watching football again. No one actually addressed what was going on. Mm. Okay. Well, 
I think this is a good uh, good thing to know. You definitely dropped some knowledge on us. I I honestly am professionally and personally, I am divided with the whole Nike thing. I stand with Kyle and Kaepernick. I do watch the yes. Super Bowl ads. Um, never was a big fan of football. I'm just a New Orleans fan by marriage. If I should say I'm a Saints fan by marriage, but that's it, it stops there. Right. So thank you for bringing that up. Like I said, I'll go ahead and link that episode in the show notes. Let us know what you think. So in closing, oh, oh, okay. so we're closing. Do you mind sharing three fun facts about yourself in less than 30 seconds? <laughs> I like cold spaghetti with hot sauce. What? I call my dog my son and my mother calls him his, her grand dog. Okay. Um, he's right here. I said, my son, he looked at me like, that's right, I am. <laughs> um, <laughs> and another fun fact I would love to live six months to a year in every country, Mm. if possible. So when I become wealthy, I'm giving a private jet. Mm. Having my dog on it. Whoever whoever else would like to come. But we are going to we are going to live six months, at least six months, to soak up different cultures. I listened to a podcast called The Support is Sexy from Elaine Fluker, and she actually did that. She traveled for six months with the group, and they did a month in every countries. I think it was two countries in every continent. Don't quote me on that, but you should. I'll definitely pull some information and send you that, but it's, it's possible. Some people do it. Definitely. Oh, yes, people do do it. I'm going to be one of those people. Exactly. <laughs> you going to be one of these people. <laughs> All right. And lastly, any parting advice for any freshman ninjas getting into the industry? Quick to-dos, don'ts, maybe a tip that you learn along the way? Yeah. Digital marketing is a brain surgery. So <laughs> if you... Clap. <laughs> Heavy, slow if clap that, on this. If Insert this is clap something that, that is interest, you know, you're interested in, YouTube tutorials, blogs, podcasts like this. You can do this at home. Google ads. You can set up your own campaign with your own money and just Mm -hmm. play with it. You don't have to work at a big agency to learn knowledge in Google ads. Not even, you know, even on Facebook, your Facebook uh, manager, business manager, you can do that at home. Mm, That's true too. And, and despite what we think out there, especially in the less digital hub cities, like, rally which is up and coming i think Mm -hmm. atlanta is getting there too it's up and coming you don't have to always get into an agency to find to find that job it does bring some experience you get to build certain level of networking it's not the the only option like you're mentioning you can do that at home you can learn from home you can youtube and so that's actually great advice and i don't know if you ever heard me say that but i always tell people listen this is only advertising we (laughs) We are not saving lives. I actually right. say that in my closing notes after every podcast. So thank um, you so oh, much for, for saying that. Oh, one more thing, because you did mention, you know, um, agencies. If you want to get into digital advertising, I would suggest that you go to the client side. Digital agencies are dying. And I, and I will say in about 10 years, there will be no need for a digital agency. No. So, really? Yeah. yeah, because clients are bringing their efforts in-house and it's and it's actually cheaper Ooh, listen this is going to be another topic because i do want to pick your brain on this 
I think it's the opposite. I think brands are getting stronger and they're trying to bring things in-house, but it doesn't sound as easy as they think it is. And they still need a media team to help. But so, they can have that in-house. They can have their own media team. Mm, it's an investment, though. I don't think it's cheaper. I think it's an, inv- uh, an initial investment for you know, for the the brand to actually invest in expert professionals and stuff. Because I do think that the best way to get experience when you're getting your feet wet is to work for an agency because you do get to work on different brands with different goals, different campaigns, different levers, and you get to travel sometimes, not always. So that's the fun thing about about agency side. That's it. That's it. Um, (laughs) And on the brand side, like you say, you become that expert within that agency and you're able to actually... You know, there's, there's positive and, and, and cons, I guess, for, for both. But we'll definitely have you back on this podcast so you can tell us more about why you think agencies are dying. Yes. <laughs> and yes. Um, if anybody out there wants to join us during that panel about why agency will or will not be dying, let us know. Email mm-hmm. me at info at programmaticdigest.com. Thank you so much, Alexis. We appreciate you so much today. Thank you for having me. This was fun. And happy Juneteenth since we're recording this on June 19th, even though it's happy not going to go live for, for another another couple weeks. <laughs> That's right, my sister. Happy Juneteenth. All right. <laughs> Again, you'll find everything we've discussed today, including our expert ninja's information, show notes, and all referred articles on our website, programmaticdigest.com. Please take a few minutes to leave us a review wherever you're streaming this podcast and share with anyone you know can benefit from it. In conclusion, fam, we are all humans working in a fast advancing industry. So as a gentle reminder, we're not saving lives, y'all. At the end of the day, our mission on this podcast is to share knowledge, highlight diversity, and educate ourselves as we build this community of programmatic ninjas or family, as we would say in my African culture. Stay blessed.